Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. We are in the next part of this one-year journey through two books. And so if you're new, um, all the first half of the year we've been walking through Luke, and now we turn the corner and we journey through Acts. And for the next six months, that's all we'll do, week by week, um, mostly week by week, you will see us go chapter by chapter. So this week will be chapter one. Next week will be chapter two. Um, you might see us spend a couple of weeks in one chapter. But the third part, if you're new, we invited everybody in the church to, to join us in this journey by committing to reading one chapter, the chapter we're on that week, and finding somebody to talk with about it. And so we want to re-up that. Maybe you didn't get all the way through Luke. I don't know. It's cool. But as we journey through this most important book, I invite you to um, open up your Bibles throughout the week to jump into Acts. And this week, read Acts chapter 1. Read it and then find somebody to talk about it. And if you want, last thing, if you want to bring your Bibles old school, you know, actually the ones with paper, do it. Bring it. Now, for those of you that use your phone, no judgment. Do what you have to do. But um, bring your Bibles. We still will put it on the side screen. So as I said, um, I'm excited. Anybody excited about journeying through Acts? Well, this is the most important, I think, book as a church that we could dive into. It's not to say that the other books in the Bible are not important, but understanding this book as a church is extremely important because it is our history. In fact, if you were to trace what happens in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 all the way to this afternoon, you would see a through line running all the way back. That we as followers of Jesus were connected to this story. Like, this is our story. So, with that being true, I wanted to highlight a few things about what this book is. Number one, the book of Acts. As Trevor said, it's the Acts of the Apostles. It is not all of the Acts. It is some of the Acts. It's a few of the Acts. Um, but these are what the Apostles did in Jesus' name. And so what we'll be studying are those things that the Apostles did in Jesus' name. This is a snapshot of the early church, like what was going on after Jesus left? And we'll be trying to discern and to distill what does that mean for us today? Second thing to note is that understanding the purpose of this book does give us guidance as the church. And it's not just collective. Because the reality is the church isn't just something. It is you. Like you are the church. And so this book is so important for us, but it's so important for you. So let's meet a few of the characters because I think it's really important for you to understand um, from the outset uh, a little Bible study. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke chapter 1. I want to start with the author. Now, the author is Luke. We've established that. And we've also established that Luke has just written uh, or we've just studied the first book that he read, wrote in, in a, an effort to try to illustrate what Jesus was up to, what he began, and then to help us understand like what happened next. Now, Luke is a doctor. 
Um, we know that, and we also know that he's a co-worker traveling with the Apostle Paul, um, that he traveled for many years with the Apostle Paul. And this book will tell us a lot about what happens in the early church. So in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 4, it reads this way, and it'll be on the side screens, but you can flip to you, through your Bibles if you like. It says this, it says, um, in my former book, Theophilus, I'm going to talk about him in a minute. I wrote about all that Jesus began to, te- to do and teach. Let me pause there because the second character we meet is Theophilus. Theophilus, you're like, who names their kid Theophilus? Somebody here just got a name for a baby. Theophilus, right? Um, well, we believe that Theophilus is probably some sort of Roman official because he says um, most excellent and Two other times he says most excellent in Acts. He actually refers to um, a governor. This is Festus in Acts chapter 26 as most excellent. He does the same thing with Felix who was a, of an official. So we believe this is this Theophilus is someone who's important, right? Like he's a government official or someone who has some status. And, and we know that he's, reading, he's writing to Theophilus to tell him this important person about all that Jesus has done, right? And what the church did And so back to Luke 1, 4, it says, in my former book, that's Luke, that's the book that we just studied, Theophilus, I wrote about that all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, he says began. What's important for us to know is Luke, if you were to read it by itself, it would almost be a cliffhanger because it's almost like uh, he ended with Okay, we saw Jesus in his parables and we saw his miracles and we experienced what happens with his death and his resurrection. But there is a lot of questions if you leave Luke by itself. And so here is Luke, the author, saying, okay, I had a lot of questions that I left undone in Luke and I'm about to sort of tie a bow on those things in Acts. These two things are meant to go together, right? That's why we're studying them together. So what... Luke does, being the organized doctor that he is, he divides this letter into three very distinct sections. Now, there are 28 um, chapters in this book, but in those 28 chapters, there are really three distinct sections. There's the first section, which is chapters 1 through 7, and this is going to deal with the early church and everything that's happening in Jerusalem, because that's where the early church is set up. It's in Jerusalem. And then... He's going to cover chapters 8 through 12. And this is as the church moves out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And then in chapters 13 through 28, what happens when it moves throughout all of the nations, right? Like, so it's three very distinct pieces that we'll study in Acts. Like, as the gospel moves from what you'll see next week in Acts chapter 2 to today. Like, as it moved and as it grew. So, back to Luke 1, 4. I start again. Here we go. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, there's a a key little verse that I want to point out here because I think it's exceedingly important. And 
There's one little word that I think will help us understand one other word that is core to who we are. So here's the word. He says, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. And the word is command. Now, um, how many of you have children or no children or were once children? Anybody? Okay, okay. So for those of you that were in any of those categories, I found as a parent there is a big difference between how my children understand the things I ask them to do. For instance, my son Graham believes that um, when I say to him, son, please don't drink juice out of the carton, that that is not a command, that's a request. And you say, why do you think your son thinks it's a request? Because he keeps drinking juice out of the carton, right? It seems to him like, oh, this is something I can do or not do. You would prefer me not to drink juice out of the carton. You would prefer me not to leave a wet towel on the ground. You would prefer me to pick up after myself or put my dishes in the dishwasher. These are requests. And so it has become clear to me as a parent that I need to differentiate when there's something I need him to absolutely unequivocally do or not do. And that is often found not in the word command, but the tone of my voice, right? Where you know when you were growing up when your parents were giving you a command, right? You know when your parents were going, oh, no, 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 this isn't a request. This is you're going to get smacked in the back of the head if you do that again. Anybody? Yeah, that's a command. Well, this is sort of, I think, why it's so important that the early church was given this important command, not a request, not a suggestion. It was a command. And the command was key. The command was, I want you to stay in this space until something comes to you. Something you are going to need in order to be all the things you hope to be. The command is wait in Jerusalem until this gift comes. And the gift is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now think about human nature. I mean, be honest with yourselves for just a moment. Isn't it true that so often, when at least it's true of me, when I get excited about something, whether it's a new job or a new restaurant or I sort of uh, see a path forward, I tend to take control of that and build a plan to move forward. It's why so often, like, we come to church, we'll hear some things about Jesus, we'll hear about how we can transform our life, and then we leave here and we think, well, my job is now to muscle up and see if I can make all that stuff work in my life. Like going to the gym. I just got to get it done. I got to make a plan. And this is because as human beings... Oftentimes, the people we trust more than anyone else in the world is me. Now, I know you go, well, that's not all humans. Oh, no, 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 no. There's actually, psychologically speaking, a thing called the self-serving bias. And the self-serving bias really does believe that we're better drivers, better communicators, better workers than anyone else. 
In fact, there was a study. They had thousands of high school students where they asked them a single question. Are you above or below average as a student? Now, do you know that when asked what did they think of people around them as being above and below average students, what they found was that about 70% of the people that you saw around you were below average as a student. But do you know who, what the answer was when they looked at themselves? 96% of every student said, I'm an above average student. I'm an above average student. And that's not because I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have self-esteem and think highly of ourselves. It's just that our natural instinct is to think, I got this. I can do this. I'll take it from here, God. And so God knows this. So he says, hey, 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 early church, I command you to wait in this space until I give you what you need. And there's a subtext here. Because you won't be able to do it without this power. You won't. You'll try. But you won't. And so, in the early church, it says, I want you to wait here. And I'm going to give you the power. And that power is going to help you accomplish what it is that you need to accomplish. Now, let me say something about this. One. This is not just true of the early church. What I'm about to tell you is true of you. There is power that is accessible to you as followers of Jesus that some of us have never waited on and never received. Many of us have looked at our lives and the way in which we exist and we have just decided it just must be more elbow grease. I just got to try harder. I just got to go longer. If I just... And we often find ourselves in spots where we are exhausted and things aren't working out the way we hoped that they would. You see, inside of every single follower of Jesus, there is a power source. Oh, no, there is. In fact, we revere this book and we should because this book, we believe it as followers of Jesus to be alive, that it has his spirit in it. When we read it, it will transform us. It will um, inspire us. It will inspect us. That's what this book does. It has the spirit in us. But here's the other thing that we often leave out, that inside of every follower of Jesus, that same spirit has taken up residency. Think about that for a minute. That means like the God of the universe, a power cell. Literally, if you follow Jesus, it's in there. Why don't we access it is because we're impatient. We go back to doing all the things that we do, right? There is power inside of you as a follower of Jesus to transform your circumstances, your life, to absolutely bring peace. It is in there. But many of us never access it. Many of us never step into it. Many of us don't go in there. And what's so interesting about that concept is that in a room this size where there are hundreds of followers of Jesus, it means that every person that you will rub shoulders with in this space, when you go out there to get donuts and you're feeling bad about yourself, don't, don't, don't. Just eat the donut. 
That every person that you encounter, they have God's spirit alive in them. That means that like the same power that's in this book to bring insight and revelation. When I sit down with another follower of Jesus, that same thing exists with us. It's why it says where any two of us are gathered, something happens. The spirit is alive. We sometimes, I think, wrongly sing songs about, um, hey, spirit, will you come down here? And the truth is, he's standing up there going, I already did. I'm with you. I'm in you. And yet, I think what we do is we box him off and we stick him in a closet somewhere and then we wonder why our lives don't look any different than anybody else's. Why I lack power to be the kind of human being that I know God wants me to be. I lack power to be the kind of husband I know I could be. I lack power to be the kind of employee or employer that I know I could be, that I don't walk through this life with the patience, with the love, with the kindness. It's not there. It's a struggle. I'm a half of who I know I could be. There's a sense there's more, and yet we don't know what to do but try harder. And in this one simple verse, the subtext is don't try harder. It is about coming face to face with the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift that's in you. Now we think about it, and we think about it in so many ways, um, and I want to say this. You say, well, how do I access that, and what does it do? I'm going to break that into two three-minute sections, and then we're going to sing a song. It's pretty simple. Number one, how do you access it? It's simple, simple. Challenging, but simple. We think about the power of the Holy Spirit and oftentimes I have this thought in my mind that maybe it's like you've ever seen those Transformer movies. Anybody ever seen one of those movies? You know? Well, that comes back. For us, from a certain generation, that was a cartoon, right? It was a cartoon. And Optimus Prime, I had one of those little devices that once you turned him into a robot, it was really hard to turn him back into a truck, right? But I had that Optimus Prime and I often thought about God's spirit is like, well, maybe it's like I'm supposed to push this button and it's going to turn me into like this other thing, this other person that you won't even recognize. I'm like, I'm no longer like a robot. I'm a truck or I'm no longer a truck. I'm a robot. I'm something different. It's a button. I'm going to be able to fly. and Right? And that sounds awesome because when we face some of the challenges of life, a button like that would be super awesome to push, wouldn't it? Like when your marriage is falling apart and you walk in and it's like this isn't going anywhere. You go, hold on. And you're like, saved, all right? Or your kids do something really dumb and they're not really living the way you want and you don't know what to say. You're like, I know. Oh, it's good, right? That's how we see the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, don't work that way. It's not like um, it's not like Optimus Prime. It's like a different button. It is a button. It's like a different button, though. It's like there is a button to push. It, it's just that this button doesn't. It makes a different sound that sounds like. What I mean by that is, um, I was walking by my my kitchen counter and I noticed that my wife had. Um, a little button installed for the garbage disposal 
and it's not a switch, and I, I don't know what's, it's like two feet. We could have just hit a switch, but for whatever reason, that's the thing right now, a little button. And I thought, when I was walking by it, I think this is the button we're supposed to push. Where we take who we are and our selfish ambitions and our plans and our ideas, and we put them into a little bit of a disposal, and we go... We take some of uh, the things that we're always pursuing. The Apostle Paul talks about these ways in which we think, these broken systems that we've adopted, and we dump them in the disposal, and we go... And when we push that button, do you know what actually happens? We create the necessary space for the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do in our lives. The Apostle Paul says we die to selfish ambition. I mean, just try it. I don't know. Marriage is struggling. Go in and just take your pride and, and um, you put it inside there and take what you want and put it inside there and take your dreams and put them inside there. Take your demands and put them inside there and grind that sucker up and let's see what happens. I don't know. I'm just saying this is what the Bible says is when we make space by dumping out this stuff inside us, his spirit that's inside us actually begins to reflect out of us. Does that make sense? Like we, we empty ourselves of these things. And it makes space for the spirit. There's a button to push for sure. But this is... Um, a quote that I love, I think it's D.L. Moody. It's going to be on, put that quote up there because I forget who, who said it is, D.L. Moody. I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking, the Holy Ghost will come and fill every corner of our hearts. When we put it in the disposal and we're like, and we start grinding that stuff up. Does it hurt? Oh, yes, it does. Because we've adopted systems in our lives to survive. And then the systems of survival become the thing that caused the pain. We've caused systems with our spouses, systems in our homes, systems of surviving. And then those systems betray us. But we don't know. And your body will tell you when you start to grind it up. Don't do that. Don't do that. You'll get anxiety. Because you're like, don't grind that up. Don't do that. If you do that, I'm going to die when the Bible's telling you, no, no, no. If you grind that up, you're going to live. You're going to find something. Let it go. You say, what do you know about it? Oh, brothers and sisters, I could write a book. To put the things that I want, the things I desire, the stuff that I wish, and I stick my selfish ambitions into a disposal, and I grind it up. Listen, it ain't easy. It's not easy. But this is how power gets unleashed. Band, you can come out. You see, what happens, what happens when power begins to get unleashed? Listen, here's what I'll tell you quickly. And this is what I'm going to challenge us to do as a family. Is I'm going to challenge us to embrace an axe version of power. And I've broken it down to a simple acronym that I'm hoping as we begin to die to some of our selfish ambitions and die to some of the stuff that we want. That something new will get unleashed in our lives. And while this isn't the totality of what the power of the Holy Spirit will do. I've dreamt about in this community what might it look like. And here's what I know the Bible tells us. Listen, 
In Acts chapter 1-8, when the Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witness. This power will give you the ability to, A, ask. Ask people into our space to live in word and deed a gospel life. Do you know why people don't want to come to church these days? Not because we're saying the wrong things. It's because we live poorly as followers of Jesus. I just got to be honest. Bunch of people you're going to ask to come in the next six months, and they're going to look at you like you're crazy. And it's not because church doesn't mean something to them or spirituality doesn't mean something to them. It's that in word we say one thing, but indeed we've done something different. I'm sorry. I'm just saying I do it too. We haven't aligned our mouths and our bodies. And what the power of the Holy Spirit does is it allows alignment when we start loving people and caring about people, looking at the way Jesus walked and we walk that way. In John chapter 13, 35, he said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I'm gonna ask you to ask, to have the power to ask. And in the next six months, Who's the one person who needs to be in this community? I'm going to say, in the next six months, you're going to make that ask. In word and deed, you're going to live something in front of them, but you're going to make the ask, and we're going to commit as a community. Acts Church asks. Secondly, the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the power to connect in ways that we could not otherwise connect. Right? To live connected, and we're going to ask as an Acts Church And not only do we ask people into our communities, but we leverage the power to connect deeply, tell our stories. By the end of this six months, I'm going to say to everybody, did you tell your story to somebody? Did you hear somebody else's story? Like where they've been, what they've done. Something happens when we walk with each other. You don't have to have the answers, but you need people to walk with you. It wasn't this Acts 2 church wasn't a one man show. They got out and asked people into the community and then they connected with them. The third thing we're going to ask about is living thankful. The reality is the power of the Holy Spirit will give us the power to abide, to find satisfaction in this moment. Listen, I could preach a whole message on this one. There are two types of people. Those of us that the past is the most real and those of us that the future is the most real. Some of us wake up and all we think about is what we've been through, where we've been, all the stuff that's happened. And that's real. And that pain's real. I get it. Some of us wake up and all we have is anxiety for the future and all that's going to come and where am I going to go and what's going to happen. Here's what the power of the Holy Spirit will allow us to do to live in this moment because this is the only one I got. Right here. You know, you can't experience love in the past and you cannot experience love in the future. You can't. You can only experience love right here in this moment, right now, with other people. Lastly, S, we're going to learn to serve this community. We're going to do that. We're going to start by serving each other. And you say, is that an Acts church? Well, that's how we're going to define it for this season. We're going to invite people into this space. We're going to ask. We're going to connect with each other. We're going to live thankful. We're going to learn how to everything we have just be generous because we're content and then we're going to serve each other this is what we're going to do and every week probably every week you'll hear us talk about it a c t s a c there's probably a chant coming who knows maybe a song i don't know 
But either way, this is what we're going to do. And here's what we believe. I end with this. That if we do this, we unleash the power of the Holy Spirit. We grind up some selfish ambition. I am absolutely convinced that all of this will come to fruit in our lives. Now listen, listen, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes about. This is what happens when we become overtaken by his power. We become people who never give up. We become people who are more for others than ourselves. We become people who don't want what we don't have, that don't strut, that don't have a swelled head, that don't force ourselves on anyone. We don't fly off the handle anymore. We don't keep score of all that's been done wrong to us. We don't revel in other people's misfortunes. We do not take pleasure in anything that isn't true, but we take delight in the unflowering of truth and we trust God always and we always are looking for the best and we never look back and we keep going to the end. That's what we're going to do. And if anybody wants to go, you can come along too. That's just 1 Corinthians 13, by the way. Hey, here's here's what I believe. I believe that this community needs a church that experiences the, the acts version of church. We're going to do that again. We're going to pray that God will do it again, that he will do something miraculous. And I'm not talking about, sometimes we're like, oh man, the glory days, 2003, 1998, 1973, 1886. No, 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 no. We're going all the way back to the beginning. If we want to see God do something again, I want to go all the way back to 30 AD. I want to go all the way back to that first church. When they came out of that upper room, something happened. And where they went, stuff happened. Lives got changed. Miracles followed them. There were lives being transformed everywhere. You could not keep people away. And we're going to pray God does that again. We're going to believe God does that again. Will you stand up with me? It's one of my favorite songs because I think it echoes this reality. That God isn't done. Well, how do we know? Because he hasn't come back for us yet. We're still here. I think, yep. If we're still here, then that means there is space, a place for this to be done again. Do you believe that Rockford, Illinois needs to see an Acts church absolutely explode? Anybody? Yeah, me too. So we're going to pray. God, you would do it again. Do it in our lives. Let us have the courage to press that button to take out the stuff that's been in the way. And then, God, it will be for your gain, for your glory, and that's it. Amen. All right, let's sing this song together.